You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, once again, that was all so encouraging. Man, vision flying out all over the place. Jesus Christ is changing lives. So good to have the scripture read. I'm just, I'm just so thankful. Uh, I'm so encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, um, we need you so much. Thank you for lives changed for your glory. Thank you, God. Thank you, young and old. Uh, You are building your church. Nothing will stop you. And so we invite you now, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that this message now is filled with the Spirit of God. I pray this message now is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you will change people in it. Uh, Your word, Lord, to be mighty in the Scriptures, and to allow people to see Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. That is our prayer. It's why we're here. You are not stopping. You are moving. And may this moment be a part of that reality, we pray. Again, Lord, impact people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Excited to be with you. Excited to gather as this church. And uh, I've told this story many times in the history of our church, and really the history of my own testimony, but... Um, I didn't actually want to go into ministry. Um, I tried to run in the other direction. When I was saved, it was a dramatic conversion. I had a tremendous love for Christ. I wanted to serve Christ, just not vocationally, because I couldn't wrap my mind around vocational ministry. But we have said this many times as well, but when God calls, God tends to win. God always wins. And so here I am all these years later, And as it became clear, though, that vocational ministry was to be my path and my clear calling, I had one request of the Lord before this began. I tried to request it humbly, but I also wanted to request it with faith and with some boldness before the Lord. I remember saying, in one way or another, Lord, if we're going to do this ministry thing, like if if we're going to see vocational ministry, then Lord, the one thing I ask of you, let's see some lives changed for your glory. God, there's one thing that I could ask of you. If we're going to be, again, seeing the gospel go forward, may we see then some lives change, God, for your glory. See, because my life was so massively transformed by Jesus, was so massively turned upside down by the gospel and the unspeakable beauty that happens when a life is transformed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I saw Jesus do for my life, I desperately wanted Jesus to do that for as many people as possible. And that has led us really to one of the great themes of our church, which is lives changed For the glory of God. The baptism video just portrayed that precisely and beautifully and wonderfully and exactly. It's showing again the reason that we are here and desperate to see people go from death to life, from misery to joy, from hopelessness to hope. What a great name for a church that is. And is there any greater joy? Then watching lives be radically transformed by Christ again from death to life. It's just miraculous, isn't it? We've all seen it. People who are dead and they look like they're dead. And then all of a sudden we see them again. And they have light in their eyes. And joy in their soul. And they have literally gone from the miracle of being dead to being alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life transformation. Man, it is glorious. And that is our passage today. 
Our passage today does this for us as well. It is life transformation for the glory of God. We are encouraged, here's our sermon title, we are encouraged by life transformation today. The church in our passage, again, the church is moving and growing and maturing. And the Holy Spirit is saving. And loved ones, remember, whenever that is happening, whenever the church is moving and growing because the Holy Spirit's doing it, that means lives will always, <coughs> always be being transformed. Whenever God is moving, lives are always changing. And on that note for a second, isn't it so encouraging to see the heart of our God? To see that the heart of our God is to see your life transformed and my life transformed. Isn't he awesome? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? The heart of our God is wanting to see lives. Just, just, just stop and think about that for a second. Everything our God does in the end is desiring to see people transform into the image of his son that he might get glory. That's astounding. I mean, just pause. Just pause for a second and just think. My God moves and he acts and he loves that we may not stay the same, that we might be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. What a God. How generous, how kind, how gracious, how loving. So let's get our Bibles open now. Our Bibles open to Acts chapter 18. And today we are going to see this in terms of life transformation. We're going to see life calling, a life calling in the pursuit of Christ. We're going to see life altering events in the mentoring into the image of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see life changing introduction to the Holy Spirit as well. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Here it is. Um, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, at Sancreia, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I love this. He said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch, his home church setting. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. Listen, strengthening all the disciples. Let's jump into our text today. Here's the first point I want you to be aware of in terms of life transformation. Number one is this, life calling a devotion to the will of God. Life calling a devotion to the will of God. Now, as I read this passage a few times out loud this week, I was emotionally impacted. And many of you, after hearing that, I was emotionally impacted by reading these. You'll look at this text and you'll be like, well, why would you be emotionally impacted by this? Because as I read it, and I looked at what was happening, as I saw the heart of Paul for the heart of Christ, and the heart of the gospel, and the devotion of his life, I'm just like, look at his heart. Look at Paul's life. Look at Paul's passion in these verses. It's easy to read through it and see details, but if you step back, or maybe if you dig in deeper, what you see here is a total life commitment to the devotion of the will of God. Look at how determined Paul is in his direction towards the will of God. 
everything in these verses is detailing the life calling towards Christ for Paul. It's, it's humbling. You say, well, what do you mean exactly? Well, in verse 18, it says he stays many days in Corinth. Now, staying there, why? To love and disciple the church. Corinth was a tough place to be, but Paul is there loving them. Then it says he sets sail for his home church in Antioch. He loves his friends Priscilla and Aquila. It says he cuts his hair after a, a, a vow. This is probably a unique consecration to the Lord. Maybe some leftovers again from Paul's past, but it shows his heart and desire to honor God with every part of his life. In verse 19, he goes to the synagogue to evangelize the Jews. And then he knows he has to leave. And we ask, well, why did he have to leave? He says in verse 21, I will return to you if God wills. His whole life is set up to the devotion of God's will. Then in verse 22, he lands at Caesarea and he loves on the church there, the heart of Paul. Then he arrives at his home church. He loves them and he pastors them. And then there in verse 23, okay, verse 23 is important. Take a look. This is where Paul begins officially his third missionary journey. Right there in verse 23, he departed. That's where he sets out again to love and strengthen and, and bless the church and evangelize the lost. Think of how easily Paul could have stayed in Antioch. It's where he's familiar. It's where he had his family and friends. It's where he could have kind of done ministry and been so productive. But he didn't stay. He wasn't done ministry. Listen, listen, ready? He knew his life calling. He knew his life calling, and his devotion to the Lord compelled him to depart again. And it's here now, if you look at verse 23, it says, And he goes from one place to the next, traveling through the regions. And look at how it ends. Look at the verse there. Look at the verse. Don't look at me. Look at the verse. It says he was strengthening all of the disciples. Man, underline that Make a mark there. I love that phrase. He was strengthening all the disciples. And Holy Spirit of God, would you strengthen your disciples, Lord, here today through your word? And by your Holy Spirit, oh Lord, would you do that? When you just look at these verses and you just kind of see the heart of Paul again, it's impactful. What a life of devotion. And notice his devotion leads to his determination. I want you to see that. Whatever we're devoted towards, we will be determined towards. And watch this. Devotion leads to determination. And determination, look here, look here, look here, leads to his direction. You see that? His devotion to Christ, his determination to pursue Christ, leads to the direction of his life, which if you're devoted to Christ, will always end up in the will of God. This is how it works. You seek first the kingdom of God. And the Lord directs you and guides you and blesses you. Now, loved ones, imagine for Paul, imagine how difficult his life was. But imagine on his journey, imagine in his devotion, imagine on this path how, how blessed and thrilling his life was. Can you imagine his journey? But can you imagine his joy? All the sacrifice, all the travel, all the tribulation. But his devotion to Christ drives him in delight and results in his destiny, again, according to God's will. Oh Lord, speak to us now. God, speak to us now and move within us. Imagine the power, 
the power-packed words again at the end of his life when he says this on the screen for you when he comes and he's writing to Timothy. And he could say, this is what he lived. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. My devotion to Christ right to the end. Soon to die after he wrote this and to be with the Lord in glory. But I have fought the good fight. I have not given up. I have continued to run. How hard it was. I have kept the faith. I have believed to the end. Awesome, awesome truth. Just how loaded that statement is as we're going through the book of Acts. God, make us men and women and children of perseverance and faith. Listen, a life calling of devotion. And speaking of a life calling of devotion, this past week, one of my heroes in the faith and probably also one of your heroes in the faith, Ravi Zacharias, passed away and is now with the Lord. I believe in terms of the last 50 to 100 years, Ravi Zacharias was a modern-day Paul. Forty-plus years of traveling the globe as an evangelist, as an apologist, and as a prophet. And why would he do this? It was his life, calling, and devotion to Jesus Christ. I believe he was like a teenager on a bed of suicide in India. And the gospel was literally brought to his hospital bedside where he would hear the message and be saved. And just what an awesome story of God choosing this young man in India to be raised up to reach the world for Jesus Christ and what an impact for the gospel that he had. Just awesome, just amazing. I've always remembered the quote that Josh McDowell said about Ravi Zacharias. He said this, To every generation God sends a prophet. Ravi Zacharias is that prophet for this generation you must hear him. And if some of you, you've never really been acquainted with Ravi's ministry, it is not too late. He has gone to glory now, but his ministry will carry on, and I cannot encourage you enough. The impact of his mind and heart for Christ, his intellect, but his humility as well. What a, what a difference maker. And I, I, I love that. God gives gifts to his church in every generation, God sends a prophet. And I don't think that's an overstatement at all. I think it's wonderful and beautiful. And just thinking about, again, life being devoted to the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Myself, like millions of others, I was dramatically shaped by Ravi's ministry. I remember as a young man in the faith, devouring. Remember cassette tapes? Remember cassette tapes? Some young people are like, what? Yeah, I know. Cassette, I remember these cassette tapes and just putting them in the tape deck in the car and devouring again the ministry and the encouragement and the blessing. Through the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, my faith was strengthened in the midst of secular onslaught. Uh, my mind was renewed in the midst of academia confusion. My heart was encouraged in the midst of the loneliness of leadership. So many quotes I could make from Ravi and in the days and weeks to come, I hope to do that as well. But I just remember one simple but profound thought to me as he was talking about his you know, apologetics in terms of people and atheists and people come up in the days of our plural, uh, pluralism and relativism and they would say, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And then Ravi responding back and just saying, is that statement true? And I'm like, that's so good, that's so clever. 
How can someone say there's no such thing as absolute truth? Is that an absolute truth that you just stated? Of course there's such a thing as absolute truth. There must be. And just sitting there, it's so simple but so profound. And the light bulb's going, yeah, that's right. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So blessed, so encouraged. And just this past weekend, actually, one day before his passing, I was listening to one of Ravi's messages, and he spoke of being called to the end. And he said this, I quote, he said this, he said, I'll be honest with you. I wish sometimes I could say I've done my part. It would be easier to write, to enjoy, to not travel. But he said, but I believe God has called me to have a responsibility And he says, and you also have a responsibility. And he said this, and it just blessed me and convicted me, driving in my car, again, just about a week ago. He goes, please don't assume it's someone else's responsibility. And now I'll paraphrase. Everyone has their part. Everyone has a load to carry, again, in the calling of Jesus Christ. Paul had his, Ravi has his, and all of us have ours. Question, what's your load to carry for Jesus Christ? Do not pass it off as that's someone else's or that's their job. Every single one of us has a life calling in Christ of devotion to him. And I sat there and prayerfully been chewing on that again for several days. Yes, Lord, what is the part that you have called me to devote my life to? In some ways it's obvious, but there's always further leading and there's always further clarity. Again, I ask you, what is your life calling of devotion to the Lord. The reality is some of you are sitting on the couch right now and you've been sitting on the couch for far too long. It's not just literally you're you're sitting on the couch, but spiritually and metaphorically you've been sitting on the couch allowing other people to do the work that you know in your heart God has called you to do. Do not let this life go by sitting on the couch all the way to your grave. Rise up. Get to work. Use your life in the love of Jesus Christ and the ministry again for the gospel. And so many people need to hear, that's the power of the church. That's the example of Paul. That's the blessing and the beauty of watching the Holy Spirit work through his life. And to have other examples around us, like Ravi Zacharias, to be so blessed with as well. All of us have a responsibility. And let me just say this too as I kind of move on again from this point here. I am so encouraged to have examples of men and women who live their life well, listen, and finish well too. In our day where so many fail and don't make it, to have men like Paul, to have men like Ravi Zacharias, to have women around us, examples In faithfulness and perseverance, I am eternally grateful to see such people make it to the end and do it well, where they will see Jesus Christ face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now you want a goal in life? That's a goal. A life calling of devotion to the Lord. And here's what's happening right now. Right now the Holy Spirit speaking speaking to some of you individually and powerfully specifically. And he says, you. You, you know, I've called you. Let's go. Let's go. It is time to pursue a life of devotion. Get rid of all the junk. Get rid of all the wasting time. Get rid of all the apathy. You are called. Let's go, my child. Fulfill your destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his direction and his determination and his delight becomes yours. Life calling. 
Again, a life of devotion to the Lord. Number two is this, life-altering, a mentoring of Apollos. Life-altering events right here. Look at verse 24 now. This is so good. So a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, North Egypt, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man and competent or mighty in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, love that, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Interesting. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, notice, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished across Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, this is so good, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Again, this is so great, this is so great, so encouraging. We are introduced here to Apollos, who God evidently was working in big time. Notice his description here. Notice an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. I love how the Bible gives details of people's personalities and giftedness. That's right here. Um, The word fervent, it means hot or boiling over, literally. In a a literal phrase is this, bubbling over with enthusiasm. This is really where the phrase fired up comes from. I mean, you could say Apollos, he was fired up. He was fired up with the passion for the Lord. Can I get an amen? Hey, it's so good. You know, I circled the fervent spirit there, that phrase in my Bible, 100%, okay? Notice here, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though, look at the text, he only knew the baptism of John. He was a bold speaker publicly, And again, it says that God was at work in Apollos, but apparently he needed to grow. There were things he wasn't aware of, some pretty important things. And it's here that Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him speaking, and notice the text says, and they took him aside, right? And they taught him more accurately. They mentored him. I love the Bible mentions this too. Notice they didn't stand up and rebuke him publicly, Uh, The gentleness, the grace of Priscilla and Aquila, they took him aside and in their own humility, they poured into Apollos and they blessed him and they taught him. And also in this text, notice God working in Apollos, that he had the humility to be corrected. He must have sat submissively and learned and engaged because from here, he's, he's reinforced with power and effectiveness and fruitfulness because God blesses the humble. People watching right now, are we able to be corrected? Are we able to be taught? When we seek to correct others, do we do it gently? Do we do it graciously? Or are we trying to stand up and draw attention to ourselves and again pontificate of all the knowledge we have? We see a wonderful example here with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, how it's supposed to happen and the power of mentoring. It seems from our text too that Apollos knew Christ as Messiah and, and the teachings of Christ, but he did not know about Christian baptism. This again points to the transitional time and this new era of teaching in Acts. 
It's this, and we'll see this again in our, in our next section coming up. But we see it's this transitional time of the old covenant into the new covenant. As much as when the cross came and Jesus Christ died and rose again, there was, there was easy for us to say there was old covenant, new covenant, one day the next. Wasn't that simple in the book of Acts? You had people who were kind of immersed in the old covenant. They were slowly brought along to the understanding of the new covenant as is proven in our passage today on multiple occasions. So one of the questions is, was, was Apollo saved at this point? Was he truly saved? Actually, commentators disagree on this, but one thing we know for sure, after meeting with Priscilla and Aquila, Absolutely, he was saved. He sure was. And the fruit and the impact of his life was immediate. Apollos now, with truth and clarity, he is a weapon unleashed for the gospel. In verse 27, take a look at verse 27. He wants to travel to the province of Achaia, which is likely Corinth. And the believers love this idea. They write him a letter of endorsement. Apollos goes, and he's a tremendous encouragement to the church where the text says he powerfully refutes the Jews. Now, this is significant here, okay? Priscilla and Aquila being used by the Lord and life-altering mentoring of Apollos. Do you know Apollos will become one of the foremost teachers in the New Testament? Uh, 1 Corinthians explains this to us when Paul says, do some follow Paul and some follow Apollos or some follow Cephas, Peter, right? Look what Paul's doing. He's equating the respect and the leadership himself, Peter, and then Apollos is dropped in the middle of that. This is also the same book where Paul says this. He says, "Um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know that verse? That's this Apollos. I mean, he was one of the most foremost prominent leaders within the early church. You know what this also shows us? This is so good, okay? Apollos can't go where he hasn't gone himself. Apollos can't teach what he doesn't know. The impact and the power of mentoring. Again, you can only give to others what you yourself already have. The growth in Apollos' life allowed him then to go again in this place to Corinth or Achaia, the province, and to bless others with the new discipleship that he had just formed. Loved ones, we got to keep growing. we got to keep growing. Man, this is why maybe you feel limited in pouring into those around you, wife or family, because you yourself don't have it. Maybe there's some moms here right now, and you desire again to pour into those around you, but you you got to have it if you want to give it. There's some friends here. You want to have a greater influence or impact upon the relationships that you have. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you don't go. Apollos is a powerful example of this. Young people, again, young people, get poured into. Grow, grow in Christ. Watch the joy come, the purpose and the passion. Choose today, man. Choose today. Get in a mentoring relationship. Be intentional about this. So a question for you right now in all this conversation of life-altering mentoring. Are you mentoring right now? And are you being mentored? As I look back upon my walk with Christ... I can say with such assurance and certainty that the mentors that God has placed in my life has been by far the greatest avenue for growth that I've experienced as I've been mentored in the word and prayer. Without a doubt. 
the role of mentors in my life, the most profound transformational experience as I've been mentored in God's word and in prayer and independence again and theology for the Lord. Mentoring, of course, is a form of community. You think of this in the context of group time. Some of the most intentional Christian community we have is found in life-altering mentoring. What a massive theme. Have you noticed I just stopped for a second time out? What a massive theme this is in the book of Acts. You look back, and we're coming up now in chapter 19, you look back the first 18 chapters, and the amount of lives that have been changed by the pouring into other believers through intentional mentoring in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, by his word, and the power of the Holy Spirit, man, just phenomenal. Just look at Paul's, like, strengthening all the disciples. The power of mentoring, how lives are being changed. I'm telling you, do not get to the end of your life and look back and say, well, I was really good at this hobby. I learned a lot about this and this area of life, but at the end, I did not grow in Christ in the way that I could have. Man, God, help us to be smart and wise that we may take advantage of the opportunity. Get in a group, get in a relationship, seek to grow and seek to bless others with this as well. There's life transformation happening all over our text today. Life transformation and life-calling devotion. Life transformation and life-altering mentoring. And then thirdly and finally this, life-changing an introduction to the Holy Spirit. I love this right here. This is, a, this is a good text. It's a bit of a tricky text, but we're going to bring some clarity to it, I pray. Uh, chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some, quote, disciples. And he said to them, Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, this is me. And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that's troubling. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one, notice, who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So again, here we have, in chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, we have Paul embarking upon his third missionary journey, okay? What a life calling of devotion. And as Paul sets out, this means it's another time for a map. <laughs> yes, a map. So take a look at this. Here we see Paul again, home, hometown, Antioch right there, okay? So I know this is small for some, but again, you can look. You should have these maps in the back of any decent study Bible. ESV Bible has this, just my normal version as well. So encouraging. You can trace all through Acts, and it's been so um, a blessing for me, encouraging as we've gone through Acts. So Antioch, he goes the inland country, or the highlands. So he's going the, the highway that was there, Tarsus and Derbe and Lystra and Iconium, and eventually he would come here to Ephesus. He would return as he promised to do so, okay? His third missionary journey. Again, what an inspiration of a life calling for the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So Paul arrives back in Ephesus. He's led by the Holy Spirit, and then he's led by the Holy Spirit to ask some disciples if they have the Holy Spirit. Interesting. And their response is, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Now, now, 
we know from the established pattern in Acts, and especially in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and the Gentiles, we know this is the pattern, again, of salvation that is displayed for us in the book of Acts. It's this, ready? Sinners hear the gospel. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately they receive the Holy Spirit, and they are baptized in water, okay? I'll say that again. The pattern established in Acts is this. Sinners hear the gospel. They believe in Jesus Christ. They are filled with the Holy Spirit immediately, and then they symbolize their salvation through water baptism. That is clearly established all through Acts. So here we have the term they are called disciples. Now that confuses some because, well, disciples of Jesus then doesn't mean that they're saved. No, we think what this clearly indicates here, because the baptism of John they followed, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And furthermore, I mean, how can you honestly be saved but have no knowledge whatsoever of the Holy Spirit, right? They have no knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They have no knowledge of Pentecost. They have no knowledge then, therefore, of true salvation, right? Verse 3 explains, you can look at it there, that they were baptized into John's baptism. Okay, so this is good, but it's not great. They had so much further to go. I believe strongly here that these disciples of John, they were not yet truly saved. Notice in verse 4, Paul explains here that John's baptism was representative of the Old Covenant, and the text is right there, looking forward to the cross of Christ. See, so the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. In other words, a baptism of preparation. It was a a baptism of getting ready that was pointing towards Jesus Christ. It was an old covenant form of baptism. So what's Christian baptism then? So we have John the Baptist, old covenant, right? Pointing, and this is the cross where the pulpit is. It's pointing forward to the cross of what will be. Christian baptism then is the reality that we're saved in Christ, which points back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? The baptism video we saw today, so many lives are testifying to the fact Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. I have been saved, and my life points back to that reality that now I am alive in Jesus Christ. Christian baptism points back to the already finished work of Christ. So it's here now that Paul takes the time to explain to them the full truth of the gospel. And it's here that we have to, again, believe, they, well, we know for sure because it's in the text, but they receive the grace of Jesus Christ, they are immediately filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we see the proof of God's Spirit through signs and fruitfulness from their lives, including here speaking in tongues and again doing signs. You know, this is the fourth time in the book of Acts that this happens. The fourth time that this transitional time, again, in the covenantal era. This is so important. And what we see in Acts 19, stay with me here. I love this so much, and I hope it's encouraging you to learn too. This story is one of the clearest examples of the transition between, again, the covenantal ages. Right? It's one of the clearest transitions of John to Jesus, John the Baptist to Jesus. It's one of the clearest examples of this transitional time of the old fading away 
and now the, the dawning of the new covenant, the dawning again of the Son of God, which will be established forever. This story is representing that transitional period. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's encouraging. And it's so life-transforming. And you know what's so interesting too? It, as we look at this example of disciples who have a knowledge, disciples of John, who have a knowledge but not yet the power of the Holy Spirit, they are not yet saved? This begs the question right now. We have people just like that in the church still today. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I think what this helps us do is understanding the massive necessity of the Holy Spirit to be in us as proof that we are truly saved. Right? Think about it. I mean, that's what this is showing. Apart from the Holy Spirit of God, there is no regeneration, and therefore there is no salvation. But we have people in the, all throughout the church. Some have been sitting down in seats and pews for years or decades. Some have gone through all sorts of forms and gone through such a programs or whatever. They've established different rhythms of, of patterns in the church, and yet they've never truly known the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to speak to you today. This is so key. As this group of 12 were introduced to the Holy Spirit, the impact was undeniable. And the impact was immediate. Do you know for sure that you've been saved by the proof and the assurance of the Holy Spirit living within you? Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this in this amazing quote. He said this, Give a man an electric shock, and I warrant you he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. That's just good theology. Give an electric shock to someone, they're going to know what hit them, right? How much more someone who has been filled and saved and regenerated by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, how much more should that man or woman know that they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them? So you want to talk about life-changing? There is no greater life changer than the Holy Spirit of God. And I read a whole bunch of Holy Spirit quotes again this week and getting ready for the sermon. And There's no greater need we have as the church than the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the game changer. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, fill your church. Holy Spirit, would you be the source of strength and power and lead us in love holy spirit you are the one who changes lives in the glory of jesus christ you know i just take this moment right now just to ask you this this all important question too maybe the holy spirit has led you here for this moment right now where you have become aware that you've never truly been baptized into the holy spirit you've never truly been regenerated or saved in the holy spirit so stop and ask maybe some of these questions. I mean, take this so seriously right now. Don't waste another moment. Is the Holy Spirit evident in my life? Is the Holy Spirit evident in my life? Is he obviously working in my life? Can I see his fruit? I'm not saying you're perfect, but we have to show evidence and fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Can I see his fruit? Do I, do I know his power in my life? Here's a good question. If someone were to look at your life right now, would they notice the absence 
of the Holy Spirit of God. That's asked in the negative. Would they notice the absence of the Holy Spirit of God? And then positively, you could ask, would they see the proof of the fruit of the Holy Spirit within your life? I pray that some of you right now are struck by the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray for some of you right now, this is your moment where you can say, I've had religion, but I have not had relationship with Jesus Christ. That you can say, I've had rules, but I've never truly known power. I've had a form of legalism, but I've never truly known the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of salvation that he brings. I've had a bunch of regulations, but I've never known the beauty and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Today, that could change forever. You ask Jesus Christ to set you free from sin. You ask that you might be indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. You ask that you would never be the same again. You ask right now, Holy Spirit of God, just as you filled and saved these disciples of John who then became disciples of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray you would be the game changer of my life as I turn from sin, as I believe in Jesus Christ, and as I now set to live a life and the path of, again, power and love and strength by the Holy Spirit of God for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be an awesome day today if that happens to you? The greatest person we need is the Holy Spirit of God. Oh Lord, I pray you are working. I pray you are filling. I pray you are moving. And I just, I just want to say it one more time. I want to ask it one more time to you. Some of you watching right now, and you've tried even so far, you've tried to kind of dismiss what's being said. But I'm looking at your life right now, and you've, you've had the right things to say for so many years. You play the part. You're even, in your mind, you're a good person. You're better than a lot of people around you. But do you know that the Holy Spirit lives within you? Do you know that you are saved? That's the most important question of the day. That we then would evidence the life-changing joy and power and freedom and assurance that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Oh Lord, work. Today we have seen a life calling, which is following Christ, we have seen life mentoring and life altering, which is being changed into Christ. And we have seen life changing by the Spirit of Jesus Christ as well. The answer to all of this, what Paul does, what Apollos does, what these disciples do is they turn from self and they run to Jesus. May you do that today too. Hey, love you, love you so much. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit is working. Let me pray for us right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work in your church now. As we prepare to sing, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray you are absolutely convicting men and women of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill your church. Use us, lead us, help us. We love you together. We love you and need you, and we are so thankful for you. We pray this with belief you are changing lives in life transformation right now. In Jesus' name, amen.